Here we go. It's another week. It's another time. We are back and it's Stedman history. Here we go. Wow. That first week of 2022. How was it? How was it for you? It's quite good for me. I had a good time. I watched two plays. Trouble in Mind at the National Theatre and last night Best of Enemies at the Young Vic. But enough about me. Always talking about me, aren't I? Thanks to everyone that listened to the amazing episode last week with Shady Rook. This week, I am joined by the amazing Daniel Clarkson from Potted Potter and from Potted Panto and The Crown Live, amongst many other incredible shows. It is such a fun, fun chat. We just, I had so much fun doing the podcast that it was so easy to edit and just to listen back to. I I laughed when I was listening back. I feel like you're all going to have an amazing time as well. Uh, I I will say at one point uh, I get slightly distracted because something happens while I'm recording the podcast. I'm not going to reveal all because you're going to be able to hear it within the next 30 minutes. Thank you to everyone that listens, checks out the podcast. Please tell your friends. If you want to follow Daniel, you can follow Dan at Daniel underscore Veronica on Twitter. You could also follow him at Potted Potter and at Potted Panto. And Potted Panto runs until Sunday the 9th of January. So you have one day to listen to it. Or if you're listening after that date, unfortunately it's finished. But if you're in Las Vegas, you can go and watch Potted Potter. Anyway, let's go straight to the episode with Daniel Clarkson. Enjoy. There we go. Yeah, I wanted to just kind of ask how how um, Potted Panto is going so far. I know we talked about it briefly a minute ago, but it's it's all going well this year. It, it's going well. It's I mean, it's an unprecedented year. There's a word that I've used far too much over the last eighteen months. Um, you know, we weren't sure if it would go ahead, and then it has gone ahead. Uh, and then, of course, all the shows at the moment in the West End are closing. But I think because we're a small cast, we seem to be dodging it at the moment touch wood I'm touching all the wood right now um so yeah and it's going really well and the audiences are still coming in and in fact the more the shows close the larger our audience gets as there's less selection so it's brilliant for us so you know <laughs> fingers crossed watch this space with the last show standing in the west end but you know yeah after recording this suddenly I'll go and test positive and that'll be that <laughs> you'll get you'll get it through the computer screen and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, how many shows how many shows do you have left how many shows do I have left? We have two left before Christmas and then touch wood again. If it all runs as smoothly, we'll run till the 9th of January. So we'll okay. run right Christmas into the new year. That's good. Yeah, that's great. And so it's, I saw it years ago. I, yeah, years ago when I went to see the understudy run with uh, Liam. Because you um, live with Liam. Yeah. It's a small world after all. It is. It yeah, is yeah. indeed, yeah. And so it's all different pantos in so combined into... The concept is, and it was a sequel to our Potted Potter show, and the idea is that we do seven classic pantomimes in 70 minutes. So let's see if I can remember them for you. We do Jack of the Beanstalk, Dick Whittington, Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, Snow White, Aladdin, and A Christmas Carol, as my character is sure that that's actually a pantomime. So, and then it's sort of, you know, a tongue-in-cheek 
look at the pantomimes where we kind of poke fun at it in a loving way and we look at the traditions and we poke fun at them but at the same time there's all the sweets there's all the poo there's all the custard pies there's all the men dressing up as women women dressed up as men and a lot of rude jokes for kids you know your traditional panto mixed in with a sort of spin on it so it's a lot of fun and a great workout as well yeah i could imagine yeah combining all of those all of those stories how how's your kind of um i suppose your writing process how does how does that come about um that's usually sit in a room i wrote this with jeff turner who i usually perform it with and richard hurst who's our director and usually we all sit in a room we shout at each other a lot and the one with the loudest voice gets their ideas across um but weirdly enough a lot of this came about i used to i'm gonna say nearly 15 years ago i was in lapland doing a one-man version of sleeping beauty um so kids would come and visit santa claus They'd see Santa and in the evening they'd come for hot chocolate in the log cabin where Dan the storyteller would get on stage and I'd do this one-man version of Sleeping Beauty. And so, and so that when Potted Panto started to form, that was sort of stuff I took and that idea of what if you had two people trying to play all the characters and rush around and be that. And then the first thing I actually wrote for Potted Panto was the ghost gag. Um, which, as we know, is the, oh, he's behind you. Oh, I can't hear you. Oh, no, he isn't and all of that. And I thought, well what would happen if the person didn't know the rules? So when someone shouts, he's behind you, he just turns around and looks and goes, yeah, he is, he's behind me. Thank you very much for telling me. And sort of really starts to turn it on his head. So then that became my character in the show that he just doesn't understand these panto rules, which are ingrained in all British people at birth, much to the frustration of the other character who's then trying to teach him. And at the same time stood there with a the sheet going, you're not meant to look at me. And he's going, what? So you're not meant to look, you, you don't hear them. It's like having a sudden loss of hearing. That's, that's not funny. That's just a medical emergency. And it's all that kind of understanding of stuff. I guess we take for granted because, you know, pantomime, I think we are born shouting, oh yes, he is. And all of that. Cause you know, I don't think any other country knows it or really understands it. No, like everyone just knows the rules. You watch sort of one panto. There's probably a moment where you think, I don't know what's happened. Then you just do. That's it. I can't can't even pinpoint that moment in my life when it happened. There must have been as a child. I sat there going, what is going? I get this. And then from then on, it's like, I am ready. You shout and I will respond. Yeah, and it's and I, I take it the audience is really key. Well, they they know all of the all of those rules and everything. So I imagine they're really keen and everything. Well, that's it. Well, they, they are. But then we also have a lot of tourists being in the West End who didn't know pantomime and so what they've come back and said is oh well it was a great way for us to learn the rules and understand it we were almost like um the Dan character where we're like we didn't understand why you do that and now we go oh okay we don't fully understand it but we get it and I think that's the best you can ask for with pantomime we never fully understand it but we know we have to do it yeah (laughs) yeah that is that is true and that came from you mentioned Potted Potter how did Potted Potter start Oh, well, Potted Potter was um, the launch of the sixth book. I'm really showing my age now, which was in 2000 when it came out at some time. And uh, we were approached because they wanted to do something to entertain the queues at midnight. Because, you know, back in the day, you probably don't remember a young whippersnapper like you. But back in the day, we used to have to queue at midnight to get our hands on the new Harry Potter book. And so to entertain the queue... Um, came up with this idea of doing all five books in five minutes to sort of recap everything that had gone before for the launch of the sixth. And I decided it needs to be a two-hander. And I was working with Jeff at the time at Madame Two Swords. Uh, We used to stand there pretending to be statues. And as people walked by, we go, ah! And that was a job for a jobbing actor at the time, trying to make ends meet in London. 
And so I worked with Jeff and I was like, yeah, if you kind of squint and look the other way, he kind of looks like Daniel Radcliffe. So brought him in to play Harry Potter. And then we did this entertaining the queue at midnight and it went down really well. And so uh, we then thought, okay, could be on something here. Harry Potter's popular, who knew? And so we took it up to the Edinburgh Festival that year and played, I think it was like church hall to about 25 people and sold out the entire thing. And we added in the sixth book and um, James Seabright, who produced us now, came to watch it, who again was a young whippersnapper at the time going, oh, I want to be a producer. And we were like, OK, you can produce us. And then, yeah, we sort of grew together and he started producing it and we did UK touring. And then after, I think, a few years, it went to the West End and then it was running in London. And then an American producer saw it and was like, hey, do you guys want to come over to New York and Canada? And we're like, OK. And so, yeah, so it went across to Broadway and then it's still like touring the US now and it's still in Vegas, I think, at the moment. And it's, yeah, it's one of those very silly pinch us, we're dreaming moments where we were very, very lucky. And Jeff and I are often saying we're just two mates messing around. And if immigration ever find out, they're going to kick us out of the States and that'll be that. But it's having a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, that sounds that sounds incredible. Do you still go? Because I thought, yes, yeah, in Vegas, do you go back? Is that still part of? Yeah. I mean, now now I'm a middle-aged man. It's harder for me to run around going, hey, look at me, I'm a teenage wizard. Um, but we do sometimes still perform the show. Uh, we have a expat cast who are out in Vegas at the moment and they're doing it and they're brilliant. We have another cast who are in Houston um, performing over Christmas. And occasionally Jeff and I will go back because you miss it. Um, yeah. And I always think there's that fine line where at what stage are we getting too old to do this? And I think... I hope my body will tell me before my audience tells me because, you know, my will go, no, feel your knees, your back's gone. It's time to stop running around being a wizard as opposed to hearing one of the kids in the audience shout, why is granddad pretending to be Harry Potter? Which is the other worrying thing, yeah. Yeah, that's true. There's a, there's a game of Quidditch as well. I looked on the website. There's a game of Quidditch. Oh, yeah, yeah. We play a live game of Quidditch in the theatre. Um, currently, a new improved COVID-safe game of Quidditch. Um, okay. It used to be we'd get kids up on the stage, Jeff dressed Jeff up as a snitch, he'd run around and the kids would literally pile drive him to the floor. And that's how we play Quidditch while we were throwing a quaffle around the audience. But now we've got now we've got a safer, more COVID friendly way. But there's still there's still snitches. There's still things flying out into the audience. There's um hippogriff poo is now in the show. There's wow, some, OK. There's something I didn't think I'd ever say in my career. Yes, I wrote hippogriff poo into the show. So that's now there. To make up for the fact we have to be distanced, we throw hippogriff poo at you. I love it. It's great. Brilliant. There you go. Yeah. And that's theatre. That's theatre. You just write, yeah, just get it in. Get the hippogriff poo in. Get it in there. Are you a big Harry Potter fan? Like, were you a big Harry Potter fan before? I actually, I actually was. I um, When they first came out, um, my younger brother, who's now in his early 30s, but at the time was... Time was still a young boy who had bedtime and story time. And as the actor of the house, I would be sent to do the story time when I was visiting. And my mum was like, oh, he's reading this book. It's about a boy wizard called Harry Potter. And I was like, OK, sounds interesting. Thanks, mum. Yeah, I'll read it. And so I was reading it to him at bedtime. And I remember he used to fall asleep and I'd carry on reading because I was actually getting into this story. And I think to this day, there's still moments of that book he's never heard before because he'd fall asleep. And I go, right. That's another three chapters. And he goes, where are we? Chapter three? No, we're on chapter six now. Here we go. <laughs> and that was, yeah. And then I sort of got hooked and I think read all of them. And then, and this is something I try and tell kids when we do this show now, they will never understand what it was like to have to wait two years for the next installment of this book. 
to have no idea, you know. Game of Thrones kind of the same, but then it looks like he just got bored and stopped writing them. So now you could wait forever, but you'll never know. <laughs> and we don't have to talk about the last season of Game of Thrones because, you know, hmm, we don't have to talk about it. Yeah, we just, yeah, we're just still we're quite just... painful what happened. Yeah. I found that I remember like the books coming out and being at school and then trying to avoid spoilers because people would just, it was like a race to finish the book because you'd, it would come out. People would finish it really quickly going to school and someone would just say, oh, I've just finished this and this happens. And you think, yeah. oh, I remember the final one coming out. I must have been 17 or 18. I'd gone to a house party and Asda was open selling the book and I left the house party to go and get the final Harry Potter book, picked it up, went back to the party and everyone at the party was, it wasn't the kind of people that would be impressed with this, but were really <laughs> impressed with it. They were like, You've got the book, yeah! Like, really into it. Amazing. I don't think that'll ever happen again, that there was this kind of almost Beatlemania around a book, which was just phenomenal. I mean, I remember you say of the seventh book, our producer decided to do the PR stunt of saying, book seven will be in the show the day after the book's released. And we were like, sorry, what? And he's like, yeah, 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 you know, read it, put it in. So we had an um, overnight train journey from Edinburgh because... We were we went up to Edinburgh and we did the show for the launch of the seventh book for the people of Edinburgh, which was amazing. Got on a sleeper train with a copy of the book, had to read it through the night to get off the train the next day to then write it, to put it in the show for that afternoon because of this big PR stunt. So I remember sitting on that train going down to Edinburgh and kept on saying to Jeff, right, you might want to, yeah, Dobby, you've got to mention Dobby. Why, what happens? I'll tell you in a minute, but we've got to write it down. It was like, so that was my experience of racing through the seventh book to get it in the show. That must. I, I bet the. I bet that was really rewarding though when it happened, and the audiences must have. Oh yeah, and loved we, it. We tried not to. It's not in the show anymore because we had a real no spoilers, but we'll give you a hint of where it's sort of going to go. So we did include it. Whereas now it's like if you haven't got round to reading them, that's not our fault. There's going to be spoilers. So yeah, we changed it. But it yeah, it was a very strange sketch. I think we wrote where there was a time turner involved and. I came out in a big beard and looked on Jeff like I hadn't seen him in years and he died in a rhino accident. And it got a bit, it got a bit surreal. Got, yeah. yeah. I don't know why it's not in the show anymore. It got very surreal. It, it sounds quite so. Yeah. Do you touch on the cursed child or not? Because that's. We give it a nod and we give it a mention um, as we try and do with uh, Pottermore and the Harry Potter theme parks. Like everything that sort of happens in the Harry Potter world, we try and say, Hey, look at this or fierce creatures but the show is mainly about the seven books and that's what we're doing is sort of those seven books. Oh yeah. I suppose that's kind of easy, isn't it? Cause otherwise you could go yeah. off and, yeah. you know, yeah. And because Rowling stood by that once she'd written the final book, she wasn't going to go back to that Harry Potter world and sure there's been a theater show and some new films and a theme park, but she hasn't gone back there, which is important. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, has there been any, uh, her thoughts on the show or anything? We, or? Well, we do. Although we are very unofficial, we run things uh, by her law firm stuff just to make sure. I mean, because the, the show comes from a place of love and it's a homage, you know, from fans. Like we're not, yeah, we poke fun at it, but we do it in a way that we love that we are fans of the books and we're, we're saying the jokes the fans would want to. Well, I hope we are. And so, you know, I know she knows of us and um, I did meet her many years ago and it, it was it was a starstruck moment. Um, she came through and someone said, oh, these are the guys who do Potted Potter. And she went, oh, you must be Dan. And I was so shocked she knew my name yeah. that all I could get out was, yeah, I'm Dan. And she went, right, um, well, well done on the show. And I went, yeah, I'm Dan. 
And Jeff was next to me just giggling like a girl going, <laughs> and she went, okay, well, it was lovely to meet you and walked away. And I was like, oh, I'm done. And that was it. And that was my meeting of JK Rowling. <laughs> That's great. I, I love yeah. just meeting someone. You're so starstruck that just... Yeah. So, Nothing, yeah, yeah. Are, yeah. so, you know, we are we are fans of the books, maybe not of some of her views of late, but we are fans of the books and stand by the books and everything that's in them. That's great. I want to ask, do you know what uh, Harry Potter house you are? I do. I am a Hufflepuff and proud. I'm a Hufflepuff as well. Yay! And and recently, recently proud. My friends used to be like, you're definitely a Hufflepuff. And I'd be like, uh I'm not, and then and now I now the reason it. I liked you, mate Alex, and that's Hufflepuff, you know, because you know what Hufflepuff, where the motto is because mediocre is okay, and I think that's fine. <laughs> I think it is. I, I think it is. Yeah, you meant you meant you, you you don't die. Like if you're Gryffindor, chance of survival if you're friends with Harry Potter pretty slim. If you're Slytherin, no one's going to like you. Ravenclaw are show-offs. Hufflepuff, you're just enjoying life, aren't you? You're just you just there going, ah, well, what happens, happens. Let's just have a bit of fun with it. Yeah, that's that's true. And what a, like a way to live right now as well. Just yeah, exactly. things will happen, we'll have fun. Yeah, like water off a Hufflepuff's back. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You mentioned that you, um, about reading the books to your brother and about being the actor of the family. Have you always known that you wanted to be an actor? That's apparently when I was four, I wanted to be either a fireman, an actor or a Disneyland character. Um, okay. so, which I think is good because, you know, your parents are like, oh, well, we were hoping lawyer or doctor, but at least he hasn't made a career of Disneyland character. At least he's like <laughs> something a bit more. Not that I think there's anything wrong with it. I still would love to be a Disneyland character. Every time I'm there, I'm like, love to do that. That, that looks brilliant fun. Um, and yeah, I remember writing like scripts in nursery school and not nursery school. I couldn't write that. I'm, I'm not some kind of child prodigy. I don't know what you've heard. Um, no, I used to write like scripts when I was at school and put these little plays on. And then and my dad was in the industry, um, left it because at 28 years old, his wife got pregnant with now me. So it was like, you've got to go and get a proper job. But I think my first memories were sort of rather than going to football matches and stuff, I went to rehearsals with my dad because he was in the local pantomime where he was in. So I watched it a lot and I watched that and really liked it. And I remember... Um, I think I was, my first professional job was, I was John in Peter Pan. And my dad, and I was there, my dad says, well, you know, you're getting paid for doing this. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? You, you get paid? This is a laugh. And he goes, yeah, 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 this can be a living. It's like, all right, I'm listening. And then that was sort of it. And although I think, as any good parents should, they tried to move me away to other things and tried to find other interests, it always kept coming back to that. And in the end, they were like, oh, he's going to do it. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, that's that. And, and you went to Bretton Hall. Yeah, Bretton Hall, once known as the Rada of the North, and now no longer there. It's gone. <laughs> the League of Gentlemen went there. That's my claim to fame. Mark Gatiss was there and Steve Pemilton, and that, that's brilliant. That is brilliant. I, are they my, yeah, yeah. So that's, and me. So that's what, and you. Yeah, yeah. And John Gobber as well. I think he went there. Oh, cool. Okay. That's really, that's really good. And so you said they're, they're your kind of inspirations and heroes. And well, they were, I think when I was at university, that was League of Gentlemen time and they just sort of come out and um, they left, I think they left like five years before I went, but they had just done the Fringe show and League of Gentlemen was coming on the TV. And I remember watching that going, wow, okay, this is a whole different way of 
comedy. I mean, I remember like that and Spaced had just come on the TV when I was about 18. And that I was like, was redefining for me. You know, I thought Edgar Wright and his direction on that and Simon Pegg and her right and with writing with Jessica Hayes, I was like, wow, okay, this is new now. This is different. And so that was then when I wanted to go and do, and I always wanted to do like sketch comedy and stuff like that. And then, then I found myself doing this, which is brilliant, <laughs> which I love. And and you, so you always work with, um, you set up a comedy duo with, with Jeff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, actually, we're not this Christmas because um, he was meant to be going to Milwaukee to do Potted Potter. And I'm in London doing um, Panto with Gary Trainer, who was the original um, Dewey, I can't remember his surname, in School of Rock when it opened on the oh, West. Okay. Yeah. And now he's performing with me. How the <laughs> mighty have fallen. <laughs> but he's absolutely brilliant. And so, yeah, really keeps me in check because. Although, you know, I trained and stuff, you sometimes feel like, oh, I'm messing around. I'm not really a proper actor. I'm just writing my own stuff and suddenly have this proper West End actor with you. And, you know, he's there in the morning and go, right, shall we do our vocal warm-ups? And it's like, oh, yes, let's do our vocal warm-ups. Yeah. So it keeps saying it's really nice. It's brought a whole new sort of dimension to the show, which is great. But, yeah, but for the other times, I sort of worked with Jeff. And then and we both more started branching out, writing our own other shows and sort of different projects and things as well. You went and trained for six months of the Upright Citizens Brigade in L.A. How was that? We did. Yeah, well, I went, I did the thing which I think a lot of actors do of going, right, well, I'm going to go to L.A. That's my plan. And then you get out to L.A. and you go, right, that's the plan then. What do I do now? And um, my agent kindly set up a meeting with a casting director and they said, look, best way if you're into comedy you want to do that is to go and train with one of the impro groups and the upright citizen brigade did this course where over six months you could do all their levels to get up to their sort of herald level and so i did that and wow i i went out there going yeah i know impro we do impro it's fine it's great american impro it just went to a whole new level it was there was i remember a 17 year old in the class who ran rings around me i found one of the funniest people i'd ever seen in my life and i was like they go i might as well quit and i think i was like 33 34 at the time and i was one of the oldest in the room and i just spent my days laughing with them and like learning so much and it was and by the end of it you're like improing just to a high level i think um tripping over my words I think the way America values improvisation as a comedy art form, and you've got like Second City, you've got Upright Citizen Brigade, you've got um, IOL, like all of those different ones, and they really value it as an art form. They look for the next comedy talent. I mean, that's where Will Ferrell came from, Tina Fey, um, Jason Sudeikis, all of them came up from the impro and the groundlings as well, sorry, where you had like Dan Aykroyd, Steve Buscemi, and all of these amazing names. I just think... I wish we had that same sort of thing in the UK. Like I adore stand-up. I think stand-up's great. Some of my best friends do amazing stand-up comedy and there is some great improv, but it's not kind of considered in the same way as in America. And I think it's a real shame. I think it's a loss that we could get some really great people from that. I think so as well. It's a long-winded way of me going, yes, I trained for the Upright Citizen Brigade. <laughs> no, I, I, I liked it. it was, I, I like a, long, a long-winded long answer because it gives me time to, to listen and to think what I'm going to ask next. So, <laughs> <laughs> so more, more. <laughs> no, so how, how, does the training, how does the training work? Is it sort of separate class, evening classes, daytime? Yeah, well, I, I did what was the intensive training where you do usually you would do one class over six weeks. So I did one class for six days. And then at the end of it, you put on a show. And then the next week I did another, the next level, and then you put on a show and the next. And so I did that sort of 
over the months I was out in the um, in LA. And so it was brilliant. You'd come in on Monday, you'd meet your class, you'd get to know them, you'd play the improv games, you'd start learning the skills, start building up. And then at the end of the week, they go, right, now here you are on the Sunset Strip putting on a show. Here's your improv show. And you're like, yay, oh, God. And so and then each level sort of you learned more until the final one where you're doing the sort of um, Harold style show. It was, oh, we did long form improv. So it was almost right. Here's the subject. Now you're going to do 40 minutes of improving this play and that's it and you pick your characters and you just keep it going for 40 minutes and yeah it was a lot of fun yeah that must have been but i love that you said that the appreciation so i take it audiences were really receptive to it as well yeah. when you're watching those watching the shows it, it's amazing how it's in la it's a night out like you say i guess as we would go to say the comedy store and we go and see his plane there it's say you go down to the sunset strip you go and see the groundlings you'll go and see you'll go to upright system brigade and see who they've got on and which herald show they've got on and which sort of sketch comedy they've got and that's a night so people are always coming out to watch it and to see who and also they were right casting directors come to that and they come and they that's where they find their new talent okay did you did you stay yeah. there after after finishing after finishing a little bit yeah it, it wasn't for me I I love it and the people who are there I wish them the best of luck but it, yeah I was because I lived in New York for a while as well fell in love with that if I could find a way to go back to New York I would LA I just yeah it, it wasn't my kind of city but I enjoyed my time there been there briefly but I've been to New York which I loved um and yeah I could yeah, yeah. I can imagine that uh, and you and you said you did potted pan potted potter in New York as well, didn't you? Yeah, New York. And we did it in LA as well um, for a time, which was lovely. Because um, we, I, I'm only saying in LA because this will never ever happen again in my life. They, We were playing on the sort of border of Beverly Hills. So that's where they gave us this Airbnb. And so for a week, like Rodeo Drive was my address. And I just walk around. And I think what they don't like on Rodeo Drive, if you keep on walking into stores and go, you work on commission, right? Big mistake, huge. And then you walk out again. Because apparently everyone does that. But I thought it was great every time I had bags. Until the guy was like, sir, please, everyone does that all the time. Can you stop? And I was like, huge mistake, big. <laughs> I like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but we did do um, Potter in New York, which was, yeah, dream come true. So that was really, yeah. Um, that's good. Yeah, it, which is good. Once your dreams have come true, it's great. That means that when you go into lockdown, you're like, oh, well, my dreams came true. This is fine. I'll sit here and wait it out. <laughs> yeah, dreams are ticked. Couldn't could yeah. talk about it, could tell people. What else am I going to do? I know, I'll, I'll, I'll get Ali. Yeah, well, we met because you came to do a reading for our new show, which is brilliant. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's yeah, fabulous. which is um, great. Oh, thank we, you. We will be calling you in the new year. Shh, don't put oh. that out there. <laughs> Don't put that out. Oh, cool. Thank you. Sorry, I am um, momentarily shocked because as you were telling me that final bit about LA, a pigeon flew into the window. Shut up. Like properly just flew into the window, like bounced off and then went away. So all of that then I was like, what is, what is happening? Like a sign for the end of the world or Armageddon or something. <laughs> So, I don't know. so when, when I was like, that's good. That was me just kind of trying to process what had happened with this pigeon. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, that's the best excuse I've ever had in an interview ever. Where they go, sorry, I stopped listening. A pigeon flew into the window. It's like, fair enough. Wow. Is it yeah. there? Is it all right? It, it's, it's okay. It's okay. It flew back over to like the other side. So it's, 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 it's all okay. But I'm back. I'm back in the room. <laughs> Where about, about the the yeah, it was great. It was really, it was, it was a really fun day. 
Oh, that was, yeah. Well, I thought you, you know, all of you are fabulous. I mean, that's, you know, oh, we can talk, we can talk about it because it's happening. Like that was a new show we're doing for Polka Theatre, um, which is their lovely children's theatre. Like I hadn't seen it since it's been redeveloped and it looked beautiful. And again, really fortunate that they want to work with myself and Richard Hurst this time. And so we'd written this play, never heard it out loud. And then we got you guys and you were all phenomenal. And it was just like, this is great. They're making this nonsense sound good. Yeah. It was really, I just love the, I love the story. I love, yeah. The, jokes. Yeah. It was the pirate, the platypus and the princess. I mean, the title itself, you know. It, it sells. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And <laughs> have you have you kind of um, gone back and kind of redrafted any bits? We have, I mean, we've had a couple of meetings mainly what took priority was getting Panto up and running. And I think Rich and I joke that back in BC, the before COVID times, you'd get a show up and running and then that'd be that. And you just wouldn't worry about it and go, no, it's fine. Now it seems you get the show up and running and every day is a new stress or a new panic or something's gone wrong or something's happening or this isn't right. Or we're having to shut down. We're having So it, the best sort of laid plans of mice and men that we were going to meet up before Christmas, sort it all out, redevelop it. It's been, been a bit like going, oh my God, but the whole world shutting down and London's on fire. Get out. And so it's more of that at the moment. But yeah, we have, we've gone back and redrafted a bit and yeah. You gave us a lot to work with. You bought you bought a lot of stuff that we go, never saw it that way. That's brilliant. So I was like, yeah, very good. Ah. Never mind Liam. Let's get the flatmate in, Alex. That's where the <laughs> real talent is. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll keep that in. And, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Then we'll see if Liam listens. This will be a test. Every time when he's like, yeah, I always support your podcast, mate. It's like, oh, do you, Liam? <laughs> Yeah. Are you listening now? Did you talk to him about his SAS experience? No, I need to. You told me about this. It's... I really need to. Yeah, ne next time you see him, bring it up because uh, it sounded sounded hell. It sounds absolute... Well, I, I will be in a bubbled dressing room with him socially distanced tomorrow. I will say, right, what's this SAS experience about, Liam? Yeah, and uh, yeah, get the get the full get the full scoop. I want to talk about One Man Breaking Bad because I saw that that was on the like on your CV, and I was like, that sounds that sounds amazing. That was, I mean, that was a bizarre one. Of I was doing Potted Sherlock at the time in Edinburgh, and my agent came in and she's like, um, "Oh, this is show One Man Breaking Bad. Have you seen it yet?" And I go, "No." And goes, hey, "Do you know Breaking Bad?" I said, "Yeah, I love Breaking Bad." She goes, "Will you go and watch this show?" And I went, "Yeah." And I went and watched it. And she goes, what did you think? And I sort of gave some notes, said what I liked, what I didn't like. And she goes, okay, good. You're um, going to help rewrite it and direct it. Okay, bye. And I was like, oh. And so I met, it was a American guy called Miles Allen, who is one of the greatest impersonators I've ever come across. He was phenomenal. And he did all the different character voices. And so we basically then worked together with the script that already existed and developed this sort of show, gave a bit more structure, a bit more... Basically, he could do so many characters. I was like, well, yes, we need Marty McFly and Doc Brown in the show. Of course we do. Let's find a way to put them in. Who else do you do? Yes, we need SpongeBob SquarePants. You do him so well. Put him in. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so we, so I directed that with him out while, out in LA while I was out there. And then it sort of toured the UK, toured America and went to India as well, I think. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. And it was, it what it showed though, I found was that, it had a definite shelf life. There was a good sort of three years where that show was really popular and then it peeled off. Whereas 
potted Potter and Harry Potter seems to be just transcending generation after generation and carrying on. And, you know, we're on our 15th year since that first show happened and it's still as strong as ever with people loving it. Whereas you see, it just shows how great I think Harry Potter is or how unique it is, as opposed to these other, I think like had you done Game of Thrones, you would have had a good three, four years out of it, but it'd be starting to wane a bit now. Maybe I'm wrong, but you know, we, we were lucky, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I could imagine, yeah, because and people are rediscovering Harry Potter all the time, aren't they? And really yeah. kind of well, we know, and again, it just keeps making me feel old. We had um I had someone come in and go, Yeah. I, I remember coming to see your show when I was a kid and I'm just bringing my kids to see it now. And you're like, great, good. That's, that's yeah. great. Thanks. Brilliant. That's yeah. <laughs> ending generations now. That's good. You saw me as a child and now here is your children. Good. It's time to retire. That, but that's great though, isn't it? That's just lovely that people are kind of coming back and watching it again and again. And yeah. there are lots of differences between the, well, I suppose between it being on in England and being in America and they're different, differences between the Americans as much as I thought there was going to have to be it turns out that our humor really does transcend the pond on both sides and I think because we have so much American comedy and they have so much of ours now that it's really starting to mix and you look at a lot of American comedy that's coming out like um I'm a huge fan of a modern family but then saying that 30 rock I thought was phenomenal uh was it Brooklyn Nine-Nine things like that which, you know, the ones you get hooked on and you just binge watch the whole things, it shows there's definitely there's definite influences now that come from that Python era and stuff that's come across to America as we've taken influences from them and it's sort of blended. So, yeah, they, they get British humour, so they understand it. And there's a few word changes and a few pop culture references, but on the whole, the show didn't have to change that much. That's really good. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, because there is that crossover, isn't there, now with, with their influences, our influences, and I suppose... Yeah, all just kind of melds together. I want to talk about, so you were Blue Peter storyteller as well. Huh. Yeah, no, that was um, when we did, when we did Potty Potter back at the bookstore, the PR company we were doing it for got us on to Richard and Judy, where they said, launch the sixth book is coming out. Here's Dan and Jeff to take you through the books. And so we came on and literally remember the day before we'd been in Madden Two Swords jumping out at people. So this was like, first tv ever going okay we'll go richard and judy this seems this is a bit crazy we're just doing this thing at a bookstore that day one of the researchers from blue peter or producers i think had had a meeting about blue peter and saying we need to do something for our story club what can we do let's go away and think about it he'd gone home and his kids were laughing at the tv and he was like oh what are you laughing at he goes oh there's two guys were condensing harry potter and that was us. And he phoned the studio of Rich and June, went, who were those guys? They phoned me and they went, uh, Blue Peter want to see you for a meeting. And we were like, okay, sure. Yeah, we'll come. And so, yeah, for, I think it was a year, we then came in, I think once, once a month and we did their condensed sort of store, whatever their story of the month was, we did a condensed version of it. And then they talked about it. And so, yeah, we did that. And then that, led sort of in a roundabout way to we then presented on CBBC for 18 months nearly yeah just two years did sort of in the broom cupboard so it was Dan and Jeff in the CBBC office and so we did that for two years which was the most insane amount of fun I've ever had in a job where you're there doing live tv and you've got an earpiece and like your producer's going yeah Dan I'm gonna need you to be a bit more silly and you're like that I can do here we go 
that is that's amazing i love i love that direction just be, like be more silly like well i can do that that's yeah. that's instead of being that's like direction yeah instead of being like can you do a little bit less it's like yeah. we're gonna need a bit more it is it's like you know how you're putting that gunge on jeff yeah more gunge more gunge i can do more gunge but that's yeah but that was a lot of fun and then yeah and then we left that i think that was the year we left that to go and do potted panto and a few of the other theater projects and stuff we were getting too old for children's television, even back then. I think, you know, they go 30s around the cutoff and then they're like, oh, OK, yeah, you've done your time now. Now it's time to <laughs> time to yeah, move on. You young blood. And they were moving up. To, this was because we did it. We were one of the last presenters in White City um, in London. And of course, in Shepherd's Bush, and they moved up to up to Manchester. And so we were like, oh, we'll stay in London. But, you know. Yeah, because I, I guess that would be like a different it changes things a lot as well doesn't it to kind of yeah. to go and I, I love Manchester but yeah I wasn't sure about moving up I mean also they didn't ask but I still wasn't sure so <laughs> I just go well I probably wouldn't have gone had they asked me <laughs> yeah no one asked no I'm I'm I, yeah, I, yeah I, I do phone them go just so you know I, I'm not coming like yeah no one asked you <laughs> yeah but just so you know I just want to make it clear yeah, I won't be. I won't be coming. I won't. I won't be coming with you. Good. Yes. Yes. I know. It's a loss. It's a loss. It's the <laughs> children will mourn the loss. Yeah. Just a little tweet every now and again, just going, "Oh, um, yeah, that's I'm, I'm not coming." You're not coming. Just so you know. Yeah. Cool. I think. I think that's. I think that's. Every, not. We're not everything. I mean, <laughs> no, I'm not saying that's it. We. We. Well, that's been a lot of fun. No, I thank you. I mean, you know, I really like talking about myself. That was great. <laughs> That's good. I really, I really enjoyed it. It was, it was really nice to talk to and just to find out everything and just to, yeah, it was very funny. Just a nice condensed. I chat. really like the series as well. You've got some really great people on. You haven't had Liam on yet. Maybe you should. I haven't had Liam on. I will have Liam. Liam, you're invited. Yeah, you know when you're scraping the barrel when there's no one left when you've asked everybody in the whole acting world, including the people who do the statues in Trafalgar Square. Then let's bring Liam in. Then we'll get we'll get him in. Yeah. We've teased this SAS experience story enough. We'll, we'll we get need the, to hear it now. Yeah, the people you need to give the people what they want. Yeah, yeah. This will be a real test to see if he listens now. <laughs> it will be. Yeah, we've given him quite a, out of the out of the forty minutes that we've spoken. He's he's got at least five minutes on here. So yeah, he should really like that. Look, we've bigged you up, Liam. Yeah, we're like we really we really plugged you, really pushed you. You know. People, people are going to listen and go, Liam Jevons, get him in. Did you ever see his stand-up when he used to do it? I did, yeah, and it was really, really good. Between me and you, he's bloody good. It was very funny. Like, yeah. I, mean, yeah, I used to love it. I wish he'd go back to it. Yeah, the, the, because he was going to do that show at the Fringe, uh, yeah. Liam Jevons never heard of him, which I think is the best title. Yeah. I, I love that title. And I was so excited, and then it didn't happen. I want him to do that. Yeah. Do that, Liam. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> do that friend. Liam, go and do your show. <laughs> 